Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Content Clearinghouse. I'm Josh Evans. And I'm Brett Chisholm. And on today's episode, I'm discussing the single deadliest accident in the history of recreational skydiving, an incident that could have been prevented by following a few basic guidelines. Unfortunately, those guidelines were written after the fact in blood. Also, GPS would have saved these guys' lives. I'm talking about the 1967 Lake Erie skydiving disaster. After that, Brett makes a lot of assumptions about the shows I watched when I was a child. Or maybe I just can't remember because I have a placaddled old man brain, much like an aged Bruce Wayne. And that rhymes, so you know it's a good point. Or maybe I may have been just too busy participating in action sports, using my young, limber, spry, supple body, much like Terry McGinnis. And if you don't know who Terry McGinnis is, you need this recommendation as much as I did. Brett's talking about Batman Beyond. Movies, shows, and video games. Podcast books and their acclaims. Let their favorite content become yours. It's the Content Clearing House. Content Clearing House. And it starts right now. Brett. Josh. How are you? I'm pretty good. Can't complain. No complaints here. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I was honestly expecting you to just start complaining as soon as we got online. <laughs> so I'm glad you disappointed me. If I started complaining, no one would listen anyway. Isn't that what people that's say? That's true. Well, based on my children, I know that I've been tuning out a lot of complaining lately. <laughs> They're at that ripe complaining age. Oh, my God. Yeah. I don't want to complain about it, though. So what's new in Brett's world, buddy? We haven't spoken in a while now. Let's see. Since I've seen you, something that you might find interesting, I got like a solid handful of base jumps in. Oh, man. Let's so, hear it. Well, I sent you a couple of videos. Um, I was I got my first Colorado cliff. Shout out to my friend and base mentor, Joey. Uh, he's the best. Taking me off of some low stuff out in uh, the Grand What's Junction low? area. Oh, like, I think 280-ish feet. Yikes. I thought we were going to uh... jump a sub 200, but I think he said it was 205. I, I should be, like, writing down the heights of these in case I go back alone, because I don't have... He has, like, a thing he can, you know, look through and measure the like distance. range to... finder? Yeah, exactly. And he thinks everybody uh, what should is... carry one. <laughs> What's uh is that a PCA like a pilot shoot assist or is that a static line or I did are you a, going stowed? I did a handheld. A, not doing yeah, not doing anything stowed off uh recently. It's all been a couple of PCAs and some handheld stuff. But one of them uh, is called Mastodon and I sent you that video. It was like uh I mean I took like a real quick like basically no delay and then but the canopy flight is like it's got to be over 2 minutes long. It's so awesome. Uh, didn't you send us a video where you landed on like a plateau yeah. after the jump? Yeah, that oh, was the man. one. Yeah, tell me about that. That was crazy. <laughs> I mean, just awesome visuals. Didn't require much hiking. Got dropped off at the top about a five minute walk to the exit and then uh, just a short hike out at the end. But yeah, I was just really nervous because I wanted to make sure I landed on that plateau. And then Joey and Cole jumped and this base jumping thing, man, it has its hooks in me. I just, it's all I think about. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really awesome. Um, I mean, I watch tons of base video, but, uh, 
I always worry about my friends when they start base jumping. So, I mean, from what I've seen, it looks like you're doing it really safely. But, uh, you know, be careful, man. Don't push the odds too much. But on that note, I do want to hear about how small this plateau was that you were landing on. Because from the video that you sent, I mean, no one else has seen this video uh, that we're, that's listening to this. So I should describe it a little bit. You know, it's like a base jump. You jump off, and then it looked like maybe you can describe it all around. But was it a lot of just like hills and cliffs and things in between you and that plateau? It didn't look like there were many outs between you and that plateau. Yeah, it was kind of like uh, I would – describe it as rugged western colorado terrain just like these hills that you definitely wouldn't want to land on i know joey has landed on a couple of these side hills um they have like you know rocks and trees and uh just gnarly obstacles um and then there's like this perfect grass like diamond shaped like a long uh like not very wide but long uh plateau that's just covered in grass um, like a runway. It is. It is kind of like a runway. And I, you know, the, I, I did land a little hard and my, I like slid in on my butt and my phone was in my saddlebags, which is kind of like where your back pocket is. And it set off the alarm on Siri that it's, it started Ooh. to say that it sounds like you've been in a crash. And then, uh, oh, because of the impact from landing. <laughs> yeah. So I had to turn it off before it called emergency services. I mean, I was fine, Whoa. but I think part of the problem was how long is that strip? I think it's like 10, yeah. 10 seconds. If, oh, how, how long is the strip? Um, how long is the strip? Yeah. The runway strip, man. I'm, I would say that it's maybe like it's at, it, it looks small from the exit, like all landing areas do to me in my still amateur base jumping status. I'm like forever the amateur, but, um, once you get down to it, like I had no problem like hitting it. It just always makes you nervous. Cause you're like, this is like, I have to make this. And then actually there is another smaller landing area below the plateau that both Joey and Cole landed on. They're a lot more experienced than I am. And they like to do some talus flying, which is, you know, I just was like aiming straight for the landing area the entire time. They, will turn into the cliff and like hug the cliff face and hug the terrain under canopy. Like that's super cool. And what they're into, I just don't have enough experience to be thinking about doing that yet, but neither it's of them like made proximity it to the plateau. flying the talus, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, like proxy flying the, the talus, which is makes for some awesome video and visuals. And I'm just not at that level yet, but it was one of the most memorable uh, and just like visually stimulating jumps, uh, just the visuals from like the exit point was unbelievable. Uh, I'm so stoked, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the video was cool. I did a jump. Uh, this is probably, I don't know, 15 years ago or something in Moab where uh, I was at the Skydive Moab video uh, boogie and we did some offsite jumps. And one of them was into a place, I think it was called Four Horsemen. It was just some, uh, it was some canyon. And then in the middle of the canyon, they had like a, a big tower with a talus. And we didn't really, we, you know, nobody's landing on this talus or anything, or this, uh, the tower or, you know, all the landings happening down in the canyon. But um, I was able to dive down and fly across the top of, the tower and then turn and then kind of follow the talus down. And I wasn't super close to it, but it was so such a crazy visual. 
actually flying anywhere near terrain, like on the entire approach to landing. And I've done a little bit of ground launching, which is, uh, it was, that's kind of the precursor to like speed flying. We did it with old stiletto canopies way back in the day before there was any, any, uh, equipment specifically for speed flying. And it was just such a crazy feeling. It just felt like a nonstop swoop, like the entire time. And we were only in the air for maybe like 30, 40 seconds, but you're, you know, five to 10 feet off the ground for the entire flight, which is so crazy. Cause usually, you know, skydive, you're only near the ground for the last little bit. And it's like such a short part of the experience. So I can see why people get into it. But man, I always feel like parachutes and mountains really don't mix. It's so easy to get in trouble with a parachute in the mountains. I mean, I agree with that the the last part of that statement, but I think there's a lot of people that would disagree that canopies and or parachutes and mountains don't mix because a lot of people put them together and have a really good time. That's true. For me, they don't mix. For, to me, it's specifically not worth the risk. But I do see the allure. I mean. Anytime I've done anything like that, it was one of the coolest experiences I've had with a parachute. It's just so risky. I love that people used gear designed for different sport for these like alternative missions before those types of missions became like a legitimate sport with like dedicated gear. Like I think the first base jumps was with like sky, like, you know, skydiving gear. Like just some oh, like definitely crappy was. old skydiving gear off of El Cap or something. And, uh, you know, it's like not designed for it at all, but uh, like, it's pretty close. <laughs> it's close enough that well, I, I was using an old racer rig, which is like absolute <laughs> trash. It's, it was probably safer ground launching in it than it was jumping out of an airplane. <laughs> but, you know, it was just like super uncomfortable and it was not designed in any way for that type of flying, like with a with speed flying, you know, they, now they fly from the hips so you can lean back and you can get more of like a paraglider style, uh, profile for your body. And also I haven't flown, uh, I haven't flown anything from the hips, but apparently like being down that low, you can load the canopy in a different way that gives it, uh, more lift. Cause I guess you're loading it a little bit further back. And so the nose might be a little bit higher so it, it can change the, uh, it can change the the glide ratio. So I know they use it for swooping now. And like all the speed flying videos, all those dudes are flying from the hips. So well, I, I think that would be interesting to try that at some point. Yeah, you'd probably pick it up pretty quickly being a swooper. I can't speak to any of that, but uh, I do have some good friends that speed fly. And I, I'm pretty sure speed flying wings are elliptical like a paragliding wing. And I do plan on doing some paragliding uh, not too, not too long from now. So maybe I'll learn a little bit more and can speak to that. Awesome. Well, I definitely want to hear about that when you do it. Yeah. What's new with you, man? Uh, um, I got to do a few skydives. Uh, usually I'm just coaching when I skydive, but a few weeks ago I got to go out and just do some fun jumps and just here at the local drop zone at mile high skydiving, uh, me and a few buddies that I fly with and coach in the tunnel, we did a uh, a first try four way head up round exit out of the otter, which if you're not a skydiver, all those words mean that it's really hard. And if you are a skydiver, you probably know that's really hard. <laughs> uh, but it was a few people that I've launched 
them with separately before, but I think this is the first time this group we had tried to launch it and man, it came out and every time you launch a sit fly exit out of any kind of plane, it always feels like magic, let alone with four people. So that was really cool. It was definitely like a highlight uh, recently. And yeah, uh, other awesome. than that, just planning for this show. Oh, uh, we should let everybody know. We're actually going to be recording two shows tonight in an attempt to bring you guys some more content since uh, our recording schedules don't align all that often. So we're going to double up and you guys should be getting some extra content in your content clearinghouse feed in the next few weeks. And speaking of uh, housekeeping this show, we do uh, – we know that we got some new listeners recently, which is awesome. We appreciate that. Thank you, guys, and welcome to the show. But some of our uh, some of our older listeners have told us that we should add like a little intro to the show to explain what it's about. So, if you've been listening to the show since the beginning and you think that episode eighty two is too late for us to add an intro to this show that explains what it's about. Well, you'd be right, and also welcome to the world of amateur podcasting, <laughs> because uh, we uh, are just making this up as we go along. Yeah, so, spe- speaking of amateur uh, podcasting, my audio might be a little bit off. I went to plug in my microphone, and uh, I'm using a new laptop, and it doesn't have a USB port. So, <laughs> I'm oh man, improvising with the microphone that's built into the laptop. Talk that about amateur amateur. Yeah, it goes beyond amateur podcasting, and it creeps into the realm of amateur hour. You're just like totally blowing it right now. So uh, to break the ice on this show, uh, every episode we do an off-top discussion, uh, which is just something that we found fascinating this week. And then we dive into the meat of this show, where we profile a piece of content from the world of entertainment that could be a movie show, video game, podcast, or book. And we do this with the sole intent of convincing you, the listener, to consume this thing too. We love content, and we're going to make you love it whether you like it or not. So get those ear holes ready, and we're going to dive in, buddy. Let's do this thing. I love it. It's not just about parachutes, huh? No. We also talk about other (laughs) stuff. Content and clearing houses. Oh, that's perfect. So um, for the off-top... Uh, this week, let me paint you a little picture and set the stage. So oh, I can't wait. The year is 1967. The sport is skydiving, <laughs> and the helmets are virtually non-existent. Now, is this the frap hat the era? Is, yeah. Well, I they may not have even invented hats yet at this point. <laughs> but uh, the stage is now set for the deadliest documented accident in skydiving history. So. This took place on Sunday, August 28, 1967. There were 20 skydivers in a B-25 bomber that took off from Ortner Airfield in uh, Huron, Ohio. So the plan was for them to do a high-altitude jump from 20,000 feet. This was a complimentary jump. It was just a few years after the the inception of recreational skydiving, and uh, they were going to be jumping from 20,000 feet. Like All of this was basically unheard of at the time. So... It drew a lot of people, and during this era, a lot of people for an event like this was 30. So 30 people showed up to participate, but since seating was limited, only the most experienced people were selected. So 
20 people in the plane. This left 10 people on the ground. And these 10 people, they basically won the world's most disappointing lottery. Right? <laughs> they had no idea what they were actually gaining by not make, making this skydive at the time. Wow. So the plan was for 18 jumpers to exit at 20K and then for the plane to continue climbing and let the other two out at 30,000 feet. They had already been delayed in the morning for weather. So as you can imagine, when the weather broke, they did not mess around. They took off in an attempt to try to beat the next storm that was rolling through. And also, as a skydiver, you know that that can sometimes also be a recipe for disaster. So jumping right after a storm, like for a myriad of reasons, can be a problem. I don't know about you, but I always hear like right after a storm comes in, like, oh, they're going to send the wind dummy load up and go test and make sure that it's actually not entirely crazy up there. Mm-hmm. So while they were climbing to altitude, uh, clouds had started to roll back in and the, the, uh, pilot of the B 25 had to rely on Cleveland ATC for navigation. And then shortly after takeoff, a Cessna 180 took off from the same airfield. So he was planning to watch from the ground, but he took one of the jumpers who wasn't able to get on the B 25 along and they decided to go and take pictures from the air which honestly, that would, that would kind of piss me off. Like this whole thing doesn't sound well organized or communicated from the start. And uh, I'd be pissed if there was some other rando flying around up there in cloud cover trying to get pictures of a skydive. Like that sounds like a 1967 decision. But, it was a different time, different era. <laughs> it totally was. They didn't have helmets. Now, yeah. So maybe you could explain this to me. Like, I'm not really a details guy, especially when it comes to this type of aviation, but the pilot was flying towards the uh, Cleveland radio station to get a fix on Ortner airfield. Can you explain how that works? Is, are there some sort of, some sort of beacon or something that Uh, a pilot would follow? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's ground-based navigation, which was a lot more prevalent, uh, in the times before GPS. I mean, now almost all navigation is, uh, you know, GPS and maybe a little bit of ground-based nav aid updating those, you know, our flight management computers will draw data from different sources. Um, but yeah, back in the day, like uh, there's VORs, there's NDBs, VORs, uh, very high frequency omnidirectional range. It's just like a, a, a thing on the ground that sends out a radio signal and there's radials that are projected 360 degrees on a circle so you can navigate on these radials like they're roads like if you imagine like a sun with beams shooting out of it and each beam there's 360 of them you could fly on one of those roads going into the navade or going away from the navade or you could use two vors to uh, compare the radials and figure out what your position is um those vors you triangulate well it's not uh, it's not really triangulation. If you triangulate, sure, yeah. Um, I mean, VORs <laughs> also <laughs> they have DME, so that's for to measure a distance from that VOR. So if you know, you know, you're on this road and you're this far away, you know your position. Um, NDBs, it's pretty much like a homing beacon; like it just has an arrow that points towards it. It's pretty rudimentary. Um, I, I think there's only like one NDB still in use in the U.S. It, it might have even been decommissioned. I don't know. I When I started aviation, there was an airport that I flew into where I would sometimes actually have to do an NDB approach. But that's all pretty much uh, the way of the dodo 
at this point. So Seems yeah, like you know a lot about this. Are you a professional airline pilot or something? <laughs> well, cargo does that count? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> so, so the source I used on this, they they made reference, uh, yeah, to pilots relying on high frequency radio waves on the ground for navigation. That sounds like exactly probably what a you're VOR, yeah. So the B-25 and the Cessna 180 contacted Cleveland ATC at almost the exact same time, and this caused a lot of confusion. So ATC gave the B-25 a location of being six miles south of Ortner Airfield. The Cessna radio and it asked for the B-25's location. ATC could only spot one of the planes and informed the Cessna that it was probably about six miles behind the bomber, when in reality the B-25 was about 12 miles ahead of the Cessna, putting it right over the shore of Lake Erie. So essentially, air traffic control mistook the Cessna for the bomber and told the bomber to hold heading and prepare to jump. So when when given the green light, uh, 18 jumpers exited at 20K. Close together, they were uh, planning to do an 18-way RW jump, and they realized that they got out in heavy clouds, like right after exit. So since they were psychotic belly jumpers, they were planning to deploy at 2,500 feet. So when they busted out of the clouds at 4,000 feet, they realized that they were about four miles out over Lake Erie. So they, these guys started deploying immediately, and temperatures at 20,000 feet had uh, been around 20 to 30 below, and everyone on the load was layered up like extra clothes and gloves. Uh-huh. When they realized how far out over the water they were, some people started shedding layers, gloves, and boots, like anything that could weigh them down, because no one had any type of flotation device. This was also long before the invention of square parachutes. That wasn't invented until 1970, the parafoil. This is the, that was the first square parachute on record. So these guys were coming straight down with maybe two to three miles an hour forward speed, basically just riding the wind. I mean, can you imagine busting out of the clouds and being four miles from shore with a round parachute over your head? No, I can't. And I hope I never uh, have to experience that. <laughs> Dude, that is a- absolutely nightmarish. In a... In Texas, this is also several years ago, uh, we used to jump at a place where uh, clouds were not a concern. And obviously we had GPS, so we knew when we were over the drop zone. But we did some jumps. We called it Skydive Antarctica. We were we exited at 20,000 feet, and we got out about eight or 9,000 feet above the cloud layer. And the cloud layer just extended as far as you could see in every direction. It just looked like Antarctica on the ground, just like totally socked in. And then we fell into the clouds and we got like this crazy ground rush going into the clouds. And then the clouds, we also called this the Oreo jump because there was a cloud layer at about 12,000 feet and another cloud layer at about 6,000 feet. So we busted through the cloud layer and then we were again in clear skies, but with overhead overcast and undercast under us so then we get like another ground rush going through the the second layer of clouds and then we busted out of it it was basically like raining and drizzling on the ground it was absolutely insane and things that you usually don't get to see skydiving because you're not supposed to jump through clouds i i had a similar experience when i jumped in australia when i was like 18 years old so this is a long time ago and uh we and nobody really knew me and I was, so I was doing a solo free fly jump, right? And 
we, I mean, the, the plane on the climb, we entered a cloud at like, I don't know, 4,000 feet. And we were in just like solid IMC, like solid cloud all the way up to altitude. Again, they had GPS. Uh, instrument conditions, instrument meteorological Ooh. conditions. So that's like the pilot term. You have VMC for like VFR flying, IMC for IFR flying. And, you know, this is just like, again, the the rules did not apply. This would not happen in the United States. And uh, at altitude, in a cloud, on the skydive, in a cloud, deploy under parachute, in a cloud, never <laughs> saw anything. This is my first jump of this Yikes. drop zone. I'm you know, making a right turn just in hopes that I don't fly into somebody in a cloud. So you're just hoping everybody else is making right turns because no one can see anything. Um, I got scared because I didn't discuss that on the ground. (laughs) I saw uh, my shadow, like the light was like reflecting my shadow, like projecting it on the cloud. And so the first time I saw it, I thought I was about to fly into somebody, but it was just my shadow. And then I'd see every 360 degree turn, I'd see my shadow again. But then I Yikes. I popped out of the cloud and didn't know like where the land, you know, you see like a map or like an aerial photo uh, as like a debrief. But everything out here, this was at uh, Skydive Sydney, I think it was. Everything was just like green, solid green. Everything looked the same, kind of like flat farm fields. And I was like, you know what? It's it all looks like good landing area. I'm just gonna land like right over here, and then I see a canopy. At, it's like, all full of poisonous snakes, so <laughs> doesn't matter where you land. I saw a canopy at like <laughs> 1,500 feet, and then just followed it in. <laughs> it was a very stressful skydive. I'm I'm honestly glad I made it out of Australia. Like okay, after that skydiving trip, it was pretty wild. But yeah, no Lake all Erie. Right, so now imagine. Imagine all that, except you got a round parachute overhead, and you're four miles out <laughs> over the lake. Yeah, that's a nightmare. So. So when these guys started splashing down, they were instantly into rough seas. So it was four foot swells, which doesn't sound like a lot, but I know from surfing out in California, four foot is way over your head, especially if you're floating in the water with a bunch of World War II surplus skydiving gear weighing (laughs) you down. So while all this was happening, the B-25 ascended to 30,000 feet, let the other two jumpers out at even higher altitude, this time luckily right over the top of Ortner Airfield. And then when the B-25 landed, after dropping these guys, everyone was confused about where the rest of the load was. So two jumpers from the first pass, Bernard Johnson and Robert Coy, happened to be spotted by a random fishing boat, uh, fishing boat, and they were pulled out of the water in moments before being dragged down by their rapidly sinking gear. And these two guys were the only survivors. Oh my gosh. So, One of them said that while they were in the water, another boat had passed within 20 yards of them and had ignored their cries for help. And there was suspicion that the boat was involved in some sort of like illegal drug running operation or some something they didn't want to get involved for. You know, they didn't want to have the authorities question what they were doing out there. But if they had stopped to help, more people almost certainly would have been rescued. So in all, 16 people died in the water. Oh my and, gosh. And uh, the pilot and the ATC controllers were found to be at fault, and the pilot lost his certificate indefinitely for this. And then in 1972, another investigation found the FAA to be at fault in the accident for some reason. I couldn't find any deets on exactly why that might be. 
But this did change the rules of sport parachuting, requiring flotation gear to be worn anytime when jumping within 50 miles of water, which I can guarantee you is not something that is enforced today. Those rules must have changed again because I've jumped a lot of times within a few miles of water and never worn flotation gear. Have you ever, have you ever had to wear flotation gear when jumping? Not a single time. Mm-mm. So that rule must have changed again sometime in the last several decades. But the uh, the Lake Erie, the 1967 Lake Erie disaster still stands as the deadliest single accident in the history of sports skydiving. And I, I assume that there must have been more deadly plane crashes, but the deadliest I could find on that front was a 2019 Hawaiian crash uh, that killed 11 skydivers and, and passengers. But mm. all this really, you know, this... This goes back to like safety 101 and skydiving. It's all about breaking the chain. So there obviously in retrospect you can look at a story like this and you can you can spot a lot of mistakes that were made long before these guys ever hit the water. And in skydiving you know all the all the rules and regulations are all written in blood and that's why there seems like there's so much regulation to the sport. And it's because everything there's a rule about now, somebody died to bring that rule to us. And, uh, I mean, these guys, you know, they could have waited longer to see if clouds were going to roll in again. They could have decided to not jump through the clouds. Uh, they could have, I don't know, they maybe could have gone from lower altitude, better communication with ATC, not had this other guy in the sky so many uh this other the cessna 180 like so many factors went into this and uh it's when i read this it just kind of blew my mind like such a such a tragedy but i mean that's kind of the sport that we're involved in yeah that's a crazy story man that's wild i've never heard of that i never had either until i found this and yeah it kind of blew my mind like looking back into the history of the sport, man, so much insanity that brought it to where it is now. Are there any like photos of this group or anything? Uh, not that I could find. Okay. I, I had a, I watched a video on it, which I'll link in the show notes. And it was, you know, there was video of B25 or yeah, B25s flying. And there was video of skydivers from this era, but it, none of it really struck me as being from the actual event. Just goes to show it's easy to take things for granted. We just like the equipment is so reliable and, uh, you know, I mean, people can make thousands and thousands and thousands of skydives and, you know, thousands of people all over the country make thousands of skydives and very few accidents, um, really occur. Yeah. Yeah. Most of it now is piloting error. That's what most of the accidents come down to. It's very, very little like navigational error like this or even equipment failure. Equipment, it's yeah. mostly people either responding incorrectly to emergencies or crashing perfectly functional parachutes. Yeah, 100%. Yep. Well, that's a good story, Josh. Thanks for bringing it to the you show. You like that? I do. Yeah, I hope that got your spirits up for the rest, <laughs> of, the rest of the evening. So what's on your content circuit right now? Well, you gave me a little bit of a recommendation on this show. I think this was on your content circuit. So what I, we do. I stole it. Uh, Sanctum Unmasked. 
was oh, a yeah, podcast. Really oh man, I loved it. What a wild story of rags to riches, back to rags, back to riches. I loved the host. She's like the perfect yeah. person to um, be interviewing this crazy guy that started this notorious sex club. Yeah, if anybody's into like um, weird sex, kinda, <laughs> weird kind of so everyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well yeah but it also has like kind of a true crime vibe it has like an interesting story about interpersonal relationships connections oh man i i recommend sanctum unmasked really good um i saw guardians That's of the galaxy one. the new one in theaters how's that pretty awesome great send-off yeah. to to those characters yeah absolutely uh and then i'd never seen dazed and confused and joey was Really upset that I'd never seen this movie. I guess it's a classic. And it was it was pretty funny. I liked it. Watched yeah, that's it a good one between too. between uh, base jumps, uh, relaxing at his house in Peonia, Colorado. So yeah, that's about it lately, though. How about you? What's on your content circuit? Oh, I I discovered a new YouTube channel called Cinema Tyler. This guy that does these in depth breakdowns of all the the techniques that film users make, whether it be, you know, video or editing or sound design, but he had like a whole playlist of, uh, of, uh, Stanley Kubrick films that he had broken down in various ways. And like I'd seen full metal jacket and the shining and clockwork orange, but it'd been years and years and watching these videos, seeing these breakdowns, it really made me appreciate like what I was actually missing with Stanley Kubrick. Like I knew that he was this great auteur filmmaker, but um, I couldn't, you know, really put my finger on anything specifically that he did differently. And then watching this guy, cinema Tyler break down, like how he got the performances in the shining and the set design and the way that Arlie army was cast in full metal jacket to play the drill sergeant, like all these backstories about how crazy it must have been to work with Stanley Kubrick. And then like how much of like winning the lottery, but also like you're bit winning the lottery to be tortured whenever you get into one of his films is really fascinating. So then I went back and I watched all those films also, which was a really awesome week or so. Nice. And then I got on another tangent about watching uh, videos about Heath Ledger's performance in The Dark Knight. And, of course, had to go watch The Dark Knight after that. But it's, man, like, like on Heath Ledger's performance, I didn't realize he was only 28 when he did The Dark Knight. And whenever I was in my 20s, you know, I'm sure 28 felt old. But now looking back on it and, you know, being, I just turned 44 and realizing how little life experience you actually have at 28 and seeing him craft a character like that, that it never even occurred to me that the person playing the Joker was in his twenties. The character always seemed like an older guy with like all kind of crazy life experience and you can't see his face, which kind of, you know, helps with that illusion. But I don't know, that really just cast that character in a different light for me, realizing how young he was when he played it. That's pretty wild. That's definitely one of my favorites. Amazing performance, amazing movie. The Christopher Nolan Batmans are just like top of top of my list all the time. And going back and watching Dark Knight, 
that sh- that movie really is made like a comic book. Like if you take the if you just look at the dialogue on the on a page, like ah, it seems kind of cheesy. But then they the way they act it out, like every little scene is like a vignette, like almost like a panel or a series of panels, and it really does tap into like that kind of snappy dialogue where every single thing is like perfectly written in a comic book. Mm-hmm. Like the whole movie is that way. And uh, yeah, also going back and watching it again after several years and having the new context about how old Heath Ledger was, it like kind of recontextualized the entire movie for me and really made me appreciate like all that snappiness and you know, that just how comic booky that movie actually is. Well, sounds like I got to put that on my content circuit. Rewatch all yeah, if the you watch, Christopher uh, Nolan Batmans. If, if you watch The Dark Knight, just remember I recommended it to you. Okay? <laughs> okay. You probably never would have watched it on your own. It's <laughs> a good point. Yeah. All right. Well, so on that point, why don't we take a quick break? And then when we get back, we're going to get into the content. Ooh, content. Clear it out. Welcome back to the Content Clearinghouse. All right, Brett. It's you this week, man. I can't wait. Sell me on something. I can't wait. Josh, I feel like you're already a little primed for this. I mean, I am beyond thrilled to talk about one of my favorite animated television shows from when I was a kid. Saturday. All right. Yeah. Saturday morning cartoons just weren't flying high unless I caught an episode of this futuristic cyberpunk adaptation of my favorite superhero. And dare I say, one of my all-time favorite fictional characters. I remember it was years later. I think it was in my late teens when I stumbled upon all three seasons of this on one of those old school illegal streaming websites that predated the legitimate sites that we have today, the streaming services. Uh, And I discovered that this passion uh, for the series that I had, it didn't wane a bit. I binged the shit out of it. I'm not joking around when I tell you that this content has absolutely stood the test of time, and I'm in the process of rewatching the entire thing again in my 30s, and I hope to continue to revisit this series many times until I'm a crippled old man and a younger, more capable, and less jaded contentologist is forced to take up my mantle so the legacy can live on. <laughs> this is going to tie into what we just talked about. <laughs> if I haven't given it away yet with all my hints... <laughs> Then you should listen better, man. <laughs> oh, good. Nice pun. Because <laughs> I'm talking about Batman Beyond, the animated television oh, series. <laughs> All right. So this will be good because I've never watched Batman Beyond. <gasps> I'm I watched, shocked. Dude, I watched the shit out of Batman, the animated series. So I at least have some context about the good Batman animation that was happening at this time. But Batman Beyond, I don't know, it may have been just a little bit after when I was watching stuff like that. Because I'm a few years older than you. Yeah, that makes what, sense. Uh, what year did this come out? Do you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 1999 oh, to 2001. What, did I think you didn't research it? <laughs> uh, yes, this is when I was in college. So I was studying 3D animation, so I wasn't watching very much 2D animation oh. anymore. That's too yeah, bad. Yeah. All right, let's hear it. Yeah, it, it I might ended, have to go watch it now. It ended when uh, I was 13 years old. Um, well, shoot, I was going to play a little bit of this theme song to try to instill some nostalgia for you, but uh, you want to hear it? Let's do it, man. Nostalgialize <laughs> me, bro. 
can't hear it, Brett. You can't hear this? No. <laughs> it's not working. Oh, man. The nostalgia of silence. Yeah, I remember that from my childhood. Oh, man. Well, for those that can hear it, which might just be me, ah, this song will bring you back. All right. So let's all it did was mess up your <laughs> audio on my side. <laughs> oh, I got an idea. No, you're a musician. You should hum a few bars for us. It's it's kind of like a da 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 and then the guitar comes in like bow bow bow, and there's like a little bit wheelie 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 wheelie, right? He nailed it. I got. I remember that song. Yeah, um, it's an amateur. It's an amateur podcast. What can you do? So you this nailed it. <laughs> this groundbreaking animated television series, uh, like I said, it first premiered in 1999. It was created by Bruce Tim, Paul Dini, and Alan Burnett as part of the DC animated universe. There were three seasons for a total of 52 episodes. Came to a tragic end, December of 2001. Now I do want to make a quick note of the direct-to-TV movie Batman Beyond Return of the Joker, which came out in 2000 as a result of the success of the series. But I am focusing on the series for this episode. In the short but glorious time that Batman Beyond was with us, it received significant acclaim from both critics and audiences alike for its unique take on the Batman mythos. Multiple awards, including two Emmys, I mean, it's truly regarded as one of the best animated projects ever. So first, I'm going to talk about the premise, which I thought this was going to be old hat to you, but I guess I'm it's falling I'm not on the only person to listen to this show. What if other people have old hats or new hats or no hats or frap hats? I need to describe to them, too. Well, I guess this premise might be falling on some virgin ear holes then. Uh, so it's set oh, in man, the year. My favorite type of <laughs> ear hole. Uh, it's it's set in the year 2039. Uh, it follows the story of Terry McGinnis. He's a 17 year old high school student who stumbles upon the secret identity of the original Batman, Bruce Wayne. And this is a continuation of Batman the Animated Series. Um, after the death of his father, Terry seeks justice and becomes the new Batman under the guidance of an elderly Bruce Wayne. The series explores. Classic story. Oh, yeah. Classic. It explores the challenges faced by Terry as he balances his personal life, school, and crime fighting responsibilities. Now, the backdrop for the series is Neo Gotham. It's a city plagued by crime and corruption. And this futuristic setting allows for the introduction of advanced technology, new villains, and innovative gadgets. One of the things that I really like about this story is that even though decades have passed in Gotham and you have all this high-tech capability in the cyberpunk world, you, you still have all the same problems in Neo-Gotham as you do in Retro-Gotham. It's like Neo-Gotham is not improved Gotham. It's just that their problems have different flavors now. It hits a little close to home, if you know what I mean. They got the woke movement there. <laughs> I mean, there's there's stuff that uh, so like one of the episodes I was just watching again recently, they do like body modifications and they they talk about like doing DNA splicing. And I'm pretty sure that CRISPR 
had not been invented slash discovered yet. So, I mean, stuff like that, I mean, it is like on the money, on the money. Man, sci-fi has been predicting the future. We've talked about this. This is a discussion we had way back in the day. Uh, we were discussing whether sci-fi influenced the thinkers of the future. And uh, I really think that people that grow up watching and reading, consuming stuff like this, and then they have a, a mind for science, I'm sure that they get fascinated with ideas like, oh, I saw this DNA splicing thing in Batman Beyond when I was a kid and then go on and try to find some way to wrangle that kind of technology out of the universe. Like it just, there's been so many instances of things from sci-fi becoming real. Well, if you're a pessimist, some of the demoralizing aspects (laughs) of this show is that you have like, you have all this crime and corruption and you know, you have this, like this, high-tech future you think it'd be idyllic but you have all this crime and corruption still i mean you can almost see the despair in old bruce wayne's eyes as he wonders like what the point was for all this crime fighting if all these problems wt point are still running rampant (laughs) what is the point what the point (laughs) what the point wt point Um, another awesome thing about Neo Gotham, it's not just the storytelling possibilities of the disruption of this new tech. It it also gives Batman beyond a really unique visual style. The animation combined elements of traditional hand-drawn animation with computer generated imagery. And it creates a hot at that time. And yeah, it creates like a awesome blend of the, the old and the new. And actually I, I, learned something from a coworker of mine who's in Cincinnati with me. I was telling him that this is what I was covering for the show. And then uh, he told me this fact. I did fact check it and it uh, it's not true for Batman beyond it's, it's true for Batman, the animated series, but that was actually Batman. The animated series was the first time that they used a black background as a start. And then they put, you know, white and color on top of it, as opposed to the standard before then, which was like a white background and then filling that in with the animation. So Batman Beyond continued that. So it has like a very dark feel to it, very mature uh, sort of look. But this comedy. That's awesome. It makes sense because the the show Batman, the anime series is so dark. I mean, every single thing in that show is light coming out of shadow. It would totally right. make sense to do it that way. But, you know, I did some exercises like that whenever I was in high school. I had a friend, Peter, who was probably the greatest artist I've ever known. And he just got, he was so good at art that he would just get obsessed with new techniques and then just try to teach himself to him. And so he discovered that idea, drawing on black paper and only drawing what the light was revealing. And I remember trying to learn it and it, like I felt like I was a decent artist, but for me it was almost impossible to conceptualize art in that way. I was so used to doing it, you know, working in the other direction and adding shadow. It was so hard. So man, I have like major respect for those guys because that is not just like grunt work. That is a whole different type of drawing. Interesting. Yeah, I mean the, the animation is awesome, and it just that blend of the old and the new not just as an animation style, like that theme in the show comes up again and again with Batman Beyond. Um, and it, it it's really struck a chord with me rewatching it now that I've gotten older. 
when you revisit some great content at a different stage in your life, especially if that content is from your childhood, I guarantee that you're going to pick up on some different threads and ideas that you missed. Definitely. Well, something I've been thinking about a lot lately is my aging body. <laughs> and I know you just... <laughs> you and me both, buddy. <laughs> I know you said you just turned 44. Happy birthday, by the way. I know it was like five days ago, I think. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I know you've thought a lot about this. I mean, I never thought that I would be participating in these same action sports now in my mid-30s that I used to do in my 20s and then quit for 10 years. And the irony for this to me is that these life experiences I've had, this growth and maturation that comes with aging, it has made me better at certain things, but these are usually things that reside in the mind. Like I feel like I'm a little more coachable. I'm a lot better at recognizing my weaknesses in these sports. I'm more willing to seek out help or advice about these weaknesses. I'm more open to trying new things within my sports just as a specific example, I'm pretty sure that I learned more about flying canopies last summer than in the first five years of my skydiving pursuits. I mean, my willingness to learn and specifically address my weaknesses has kind of turned canopy flying into one of my favorite things about skydiving. And I used to just look at canopy flying as a way to just get down to the ground and get up to do more free flying. It was just a means to an end. Uh, but something that has not improved over the years is my body. <laughs> I, I'm definitely not as strong, spry, or able to bounce back as quickly as when I was in my early 20s. And, you know, back in the day when it was you and me, buddy, we were flying countless hours in the wind tunnel each week. Uh, I'd go skydiving with you for a couple of days, and then I'd be riding motorcycles with Derek. Sometimes now it feels like my mind is dragging my body along for the ride. My my journey into action sports has reawakened. I mean, I am acutely aware that I want to continue to do awesome things as I get older, but I am concerned that my body will restrict my dreams and my goals a lot sooner than I'd hoped. And these were just not concerns that I had on my first viewing of Batman Beyond, but I have always thought of Batman as the ultimate action sports enthusiast. Have you oh, ever had dude. this thought? <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. You know, body improvement works on a bell curve if you just let it take its natural course. You just like, you keep getting better and better until one day your entire spine gives out. And whoop, <laughs> now you're back down. So I, I have a, had a lot of these same thoughts. Like, I'm surprised that I'm still doing my current job just because it's not really a job for old people. When I was, when I was a kid, 40 was an old person, but <laughs> that has definitely changed. I think just like just understanding about how to operate and how to manage stress. I think that's a big part of uh, a difference between our generation and the previous generation and doing things like action sports. Like it keeps your mind young and then, with your mind staying young, it gives you like a motivation to try to keep your body young as well. And I have a myriad of back problems. When I, when I turned 30, my entire back basically collapsed. Like I, th that was when I learned that I had scoliosis and, uh, it was basically like I woke up one day and my, everything about my back hurt. I felt like my spine had shrunk two inches. I had like, uh, sciatic pain 
And since that day, it's just been basically like constant battle management, trying to keep my body healthy to still be able to do what I'm doing. But I know that like flying in the tunnel a couple times a week and coaching and like trying to keep my mind fresh so I can, you know, maintain the knowledge base I need to coach people. That has definitely helped keep my body young and functioning. And when I stop moving, that's when my body starts hurting. So I feel like I'm always trying to do something. But, you know, it's like, I guess, yeah, these are not thoughts that would have ever occurred to me in my youth. It's it's all just like based on experience and kind of being exposed to your own mortality. And as far as Batman being an action sports enthusiast, <laughs> I have thought numerous times when I look at my rig laying on the ground, it's unpacked. I'm like, man, this is Batman tech. This is, is totally the only thing missing from this rig is that it doesn't pack itself. That's the only thing that Batman would have that would be like slightly different from the gear that we have. It is totally superhero equipment. That's why totally. I always think about skydiving is superhero school. When you start learning to skydive, you're going to superhero school. Well, I mean, Batman is the superhero with no superpowers. This is. I think one of the reasons audiences really connect with the character. I mean, it's just a guy named Bruce with billions of dollars. He has some, above- which is a superpower. <laughs> it totally is. And, you know, he has some, some, uh, some excellent detective skills, you know? So what does he do? He puts on a costume, he jumps off buildings and he fist fights criminals. I mean, he's just an athlete with good, like tech. a normal detective. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so in episode one of Batman beyond, we see, an elderly Bruce in his futuristic bat suit. He's struggling to save a hostage. He ends up grabbing a gun, uh, almost breaking his ultimate rule uh, because he's an aged athlete well past his prime. He can't handle himself. He has like a, a heart attack and, you know, barely makes it out of this situation. But then you have Terry McGinnis and he's like the exact opposite. I mean, he's super capable spry. He's a high school athlete, but on the flip side of that, he has all the reactivity, emotional immaturity, and rebelliousness that you would expect from a 17-year-old. These character oh, differences, these generational differences make for great and super relatable storytelling. Um, so on this same subject... Doesn't this guy uh-huh. know that Bruce Wayne gets all of his sidekicks killed? <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's funny because there are characters that come up that, you know, you kind of like find out later, like, you know, oh, that it's Commissioner Gordon's daughter is in the show and she's Bruce Wayne's age. And then you find out, oh, she was Batgirl and she like makes like a comment to Terry because, of course, like she already has everybody's identities figured out. She knows that Terry isn't just Bruce Wayne's helper. And she like will make some comments like. Like, ah, be careful, Terry. Is she in a wheelchair? Like, uh, in that show, is she in a she wheelchair? She is not in a wheelchair. Because that's Batman Beyond. one of the timelines. She, okay. uh, yeah, she she's Batgirl, and then she gets paralyzed, shot in the spine by Joker, and then she becomes uh, Oracle, which is like, you know, Batman, one of Batman's guys in the chair. Mm. That's one. That's one of the Batman timelines. I don't think that that is in the animated series, though. Okay. Well, I do know that a big uh, 
thread again that's this is the movie return of the joker i think deals with a robin situation but but uh yeah i mean it's just the the these um i don't know this it's it's bad that i find myself relating to bruce wayne as like the old guy <laughs> that wants to do things but his body won't let him as opposed to terry <laughs> that that makes me feel yeah, a little uncomfortable we're not <laughs> We're not high school kids anymore. I mean, it totally makes sense. That's that's a cool concept because, like, have, usually Batman is a singer, single generational character, and having two generations. I mean, it's kind of like the uh, Spider-Man and Miles Morales story. They're a little bit closer in uh, ability and ages, but you know, normally, if you were an old person like us, you'd be projecting yourself into your past to to associate with Batman. But that's yeah. cool to see like different ends of the timeline spectrum. Oh, it's awesome. And and another thing on this on the subject of aging, I stumbled across a YouTube video from this channel implicitly pretentious called Batman Beyond is Scary. Uh, it's this beautiful video essay. <laughs> it hooked me in the intro when it, the the video or the uh, the creator reflected that his childhood was officially decimated when he sees Terry meet Bane for the first time in the show. Because instead of this muscle-bound, mask-wearing freak that we know and love to hate, we find this like extremely weak and pale old man. He's shriveled up, he's in a wheelchair, he's hooked up to a breathing apparatus. I mean, he's unable to move. And this exploration of aging, things changing, but staying the same, seeing characters that we know and we're familiar with aged decades in the future. Uh, I mean, it's kind of like a new spin on old ideas. It, it comes up again and again in Batman Beyond, and it totally reflects our real world lives. I find myself being able to relate. Like if I see, I don't know, an old person sitting on a bench at a park when I was in my youth, I was like, you know, you can't even you can't even conceptualize why you would want to just sit still and not do anything. You know, it's like you're just you want to go skateboarding, you want to go skydiving, you do all this stuff. But as I get older, now, you know, I'm getting closer and closer to geriatric age every day. But uh, <laughs> now it's like I I see that and I don't have any trouble with relating with why someone in their twilight years would want to go and just sit quietly on a park bench. Like if there's kids at the park or whatever, like, Oh, you can, you know, you go and you watch and you remember when your own kids were children. And it is, it's so strange the way that those kind of maturations to steal your word in your, in your mind just happen without you intending them to happen at all. Like you, you just, as you age, you start to find new ways to associate with people that are younger than you and people that are older with you. You know, you can remember being young and getting closer and closer to, you know, the other, the other end. Yeah. It can really relate with like all of that spectrum of age now. And that's, you know, that's something that it, when I was in my twenties, there's no way I was probably way too close minded and just like thinking about my own existence to have any kind of relation like that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, to shift gears a bit, another thing I love about this show, villains. Josh, you know my thoughts on the importance of a good villain in a superhero story. 
I mean, uh, Killmonger from Black Panther, Fisk from Netflix's Daredevil and Into the Spider-Verse, Mama from Dread. These are just oh man. <laughs> these are just some of the some complex of the villains that we've discussed on this show. <laughs> I mean, you got to have a good villain for a good superhero story to happen, and Batman Beyond totally delivers. Throughout the series, Terry faces off against a variety of adversaries. Some of them are updated versions on classic Batman villains, while others are unique to the Batman Beyond universe. Uh, so, is I, there a new Joker? Well, that's Return of the Joker. That's ah, that's the you. that's the movie, yeah. But that is also another uh, just to sell that piece of content that is voiced by Mark Hamill, who of course. I'm sure you know this, but from like 1991 to 2021, and possibly like I don't think he's officially retired. He has voiced Joker for so many animated projects, video games. I mean, it is his work is prolific. It's amazing. I mean, as far as audio goes, he has the most iconic Joker voice. I mean, it's Jack Nicholson, Heath Ledger, and Mark Hamill. Those are the Jokers. And it just depends on which uh, which era and realm you're in. Yeah. Oh, and Jared Leto, lest we forget <laughs> Jared Leto's iconic depiction. Did you just throw that in there because you were, you were just worried he was going to like come harass you as part of his like method acted acting scheme? Uh, or whatever? I didn't No, I didn't think he could take one more voice screaming out into the ether about how terrible his Joker was. I didn't want to add to any pain he may be feeling. <laughs> He's going to use that pain for his next role. So lay it on him. Oh, good. Um, I hope he reprises the role of Joker then. <laughs> Well, it's so I, I I just assumed that you were intimately familiar with this show, but uh, so I, I've got to spoil some shit for you. It is do awesome. It. That's what we do. <laughs> Spo- you know our our thought on spoilers. Anything that might make somebody want to watch it more is fair game. That's it. In the spoiler alert category. That's the rule. Uh, it's it's awesome to see Mister Freeze reappear. First as just a head on ice, and then new technology allows his mind to inhabit a body once again. I mean, I've already mentioned Bane, whose body has been aged and decimated by using too much venom to write out. Uh, Some of my favorite new ones where it was Shriek. He's an audio engineer who weaponizes sound. Uh, They're spellbinder. He's an underpaid high school psychiatrist. He uses this like hypnotizing tech to steal from... his students' wealthy parents. Uh, Ink is the result of an experiment, and she's definitely the toughest of Terry's villains. I mean, I love a good villain. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Well, that's best part. Man, Spider-Man and Joker. I mean, yeah. uh, Batman and Joker. I mean, it's basically the like the ultimate uh, hero and villain combo, which always seems so weird because I would never think Oh yeah, Joker. That's the perfect foil for a Batman. But then when you watch, you know the all the depictions of their struggles, it really is like you can't think of a better antagonist for Batman, and it kind of sets a high bar like for all superhero stories. Like they need to be at least as good as that. You know, a really good take in Batman Beyond. They don't depict the Joker, but they definitely make allusions uh, to him because you know Batman has like. Well, not the the old Batman, Bruce Wayne in his Batcave has all these like old relics and he 
talks about some of his enemies and he like talks about some of them almost with like reverence like it was the good old days kind of like an action sports athlete would yeah um, bad man but a, a really clever uh threat like a really clever kind of th- overall uh these like groups of gangs that inhabit neo-gotham they call themselves the jokers and so this isn't the joker but it's almost like these you know generations down these uh kind of like street punks have they paint themselves up as clowns and they sort of idolize the joker and they're like acting like and this is like awesome this is kind of like a background uh enemy if you will like it's like these you know they aren't the main villains they're kind of like street punks so like the joker the legend of the joker has permeated into street level crime right like and he's been he's been idolized idolized that persona that's exactly yeah what kind of crazy tech does batman beyond have uh, so his he's got to have a bunch of updated technology. Yeah, for sure. So his suit is kind of like an Iron Man suit. Like the wings can like collapse in and out. Uh, it's a really iconic black suit. You've probably played it in some video games. I've I imagine. seen it. Yeah, it has the yeah, red, skin tight, red the big emblem. red logo. Yeah, yep. Terry's like it's a all much... built in like one piece. Yep, exactly. And there, he has like rocket boots, if you will, that are similar to like Iron Man. Um, a lot of like built-in like listening devices. Um, the Batwing is pretty cool. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I can't think of any other specific. Probably no examples, grappling hook. Yeah, he's got a good. Probably doesn't need a grappling hook. Got a good grappling he? hook. Yeah, uh, nice. Imagine yep. how bummed old Bruce Wayne would be looking at all those like those rocket boots and be like, God, if I'd only had rocket boots back in my day, <laughs> yeah. never would have got my back broken. <laughs> I think that's another thing, too, in the story is that the suit amplifies the wearer's uh, strength and speed. Stuff like that. It's awesome. awesome. It's definitely like one of my favorite Batman takes for sure. But, you know, uh, stunning animation, good villains. It's nothing really without the story to tie it all together. And that's really what sets Batman Beyond apart as a masterpiece that the show has rich storytelling. It delves into complex themes such as legacy identity and the process of growing up. It examines the challenges faced by Terry as he tries to live up to the Batman legacy while forging his own path. Uh, It explores the mentor mentee relationship between Terry and Bruce, which adds depth to the narrative. And it almost always plays out in some form of like funny banter between the two of them. And we know Batman has some good quips and comebacks, so it's fun to see the generational differences play out in their respective forms of humor. And Terry McGinnis is uh, he's a relatable protagonist who struggles with the weight of expectations. You have the, the aging Bruce Wayne providing a gut-wrenching look at the vulnerability and wisdom that come with age. The new and old villains, the ever-changing but ever-staying the same city, holding all of this. All these amazing elements and storylines offer a fresh perspective on the Batman universe. And it really pays homage to the rich history of Batman. So in conclusion, Josh, Batman Beyond, it's a masterful exploration of nostalgia, legacy, and the process of growing up and getting older. Uh, The show portrays the delicate dance between honoring the past and forging one's own path, a theme that resonates with viewers of all ages. The creators have brought us a narrative that is as timeless as the iconic figure at its center. And Batman Beyond is really a reminder that although change is inevitable, if we can adapt and evolve, 
our legacy can soar above the ever-changing landscape of our lives like a bat. (laughs) (laughs) Only in nighttime, though. (laughs) If you see, if this legacy soars above your life in the daytime, you should get a rabies shot. It might have bitten you. Shouldn't be out in the day. Batman Beyond. I can't wait to uh, start, like, just keep binging it. I haven't gotten through all three seasons again in preparation for this show. I tried. Where are you watching it? Is it on Prime? Well, so it's on HBO Max, which is now called oh, Max. You know what? HBO Max has all of the Batman stuff. It has, uh, it also has, I'm pretty sure they have Batman the Animated Series. I know they have the uh, Mask of the Phantasm, which is the Batman the Animated Series movie. Sounds like kind of like the the equivalent of Return of the Joker. And they have... They have like the Batman Lego movie. Have you watched that, by the way? Batman oh, Lego. Oh yeah, movie? that's awesome. It, it yeah. is so good. Yeah, it's really good. HBO Max. Now that you mention it, yes, you're right. They have all the Batman content. Do you think they have Batman and Robin? Something George Clooney's really proud of. Oh man, I hope so. <laughs> hey, I want to see those bat nipples. <laughs> the the part Mr. Freeze when you know that it's like the campiest thing you've ever seen is when they hit their boots. They're like laying on their backs. Schwarzenegger's oh, yeah. in there as Mr. Freeze. They look ice at each to other, meet you. and then they hit their boots together, and blades pop out as ice skates. <laughs> oh, oh, so lame. That is the worst. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, dude. That talk about iconic. <laughs> that is that is an iconic of a different flavor, but <laughs> I think you should stick to Batman Beyond. It's actually. Oh, dirty. yeah. <laughs> hey, man, you can sell me anything if you put it up against Batman and Robin. Yeah. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for joining me, Josh, <laughs> on this journey <laughs> through Neo-Gotham. Hey, man, the journey of age. Yep. So, actually, I, I haven't. I'm surprised I haven't seen this show. I'm going to have to go and check it out now. Yeah, man, I think I might actually just get on a Batman kick. Because I literally just watched dark Knight last night and i want some more batman in my life so this might be perfect especially batman content i've never seen so thanks for bringing that brett that is awesome um excellent recommendation as as always especially knowing that it's a continuation of batman the animated series one of my favorite shows when i was a kid and uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to the Content Clearinghouse. We appreciate it. We know it's been uh, a little while since our last show, but we're going to try to remedy that and get you some more content out on a little bit quicker uh, time frame if possible. So stay tuned for that. Uh, if you want to contact us, you can email us at contentclearinghouse at gmail.com. Uh, we have a an Instagram and Facebook page, the content clearinghouse. So check that out and stick around. We'll bring you more content recommendations jammed directly into your ear holes. As soon as we can get it out to you. We love you guys. 